Hey there, welcome to The Fizzle Show. I'm Corbett Barr, and this is our podcast about earning a living independently, doing something you love. And today I'm really excited because we have an old friend of the show, not just an old friend, somebody who kicked the show off way back 370 episodes ago, I can hardly believe it. Caleb Wojcik, welcome back to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. I, I know the, the first, I think it's like 59 or 60 episodes are you, me, and Chase, and then I came back for one episode with you guys in Portland, but it's been a while. That's a lot of episodes in the can. <laughs> it is a lot. And um, I don't know, some things have changed, but a lot of things have stayed the same, I would say. Uh, so we're glad to have you back. For people who are listening who haven't dug way back in the archives, Caleb and Chase and I started this, um, I think it was 2013 or so. Yeah, I think it was late 2013 or 14, trying to remember which, yeah. And um, that was when... We only knew a couple of friends who had podcasts, and I remember you and Chase were really hot on it as like the next big thing. And sure enough, it is the next big thing. It is the big thing now. Well, and you you can't contain Chase in a in a single podcast, so so it was like his element, I think, and that really helped set the tone of the Fizzle brand from, totally. from the beginning, it being different because the business podcasts that were out there were pretty stuffy. Uh, for, yeah. for the most part, there were a few that were, that were fun. And, um, I mean, the first time I heard about you was on Pat Flynn's podcast, like, and that was early in his episodes too. So compared to now, there's so many podcasts, but Fizzle Show has always been a different, different style of more, yeah, we more had, laid uh, back, more fun business podcast. <laughs> we had a lot of energy in the early days, partly oh, yeah. fueled by, uh, what we called Negroni cast. And uh, after after several of those episodes, Chase realized that um, a Negroni is three kinds of booze. So there's a lot of booze in there. <laughs> and so it derails the entire episode after it a while. It kind of does yeah, after yeah. a while. Yeah. Yeah. There's uh, still many phrases and inside jokes that uh, my wife and I have from the podcast, like things that I heard from you for the first time, like shitting in tall cotton and <laughs> throwing meat up. Like instead of throwing a meat up, we were talking about like you'd throw meat up in the air. and e- Yep. I think there's still some hidden websites that Chase has made from inside jokes that you and I never found, I'm sure. Yeah, some people did, though. <laughs> I'd love to see his like roster of domains out oh, there. Oh, that would probably be a scary thing to look at, actually. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it's been a while since we worked together, but obviously we stay in touch, and mm-hmm. you're up here in Portland quite a bit, and you're down in San Diego, mm-hmm. where you have been working with another mutual friend of ours for quite a while. And um, I wanted to talk to you today mostly about the Switch Pod because this has been like such a cool thing to watch from the sidelines. I've got um, my early prototype, and I, I don't think much has changed since the uh, the first Kickstarter batch went out. But tell us about the Switch Pod. What, what is it and what, what problem does it solve? So Pat Flynn and I, who's been a video client of mine for like five years now, we're at a video conference. We were at VidSummit. And I had seen a lot of people using this Gorillapod before. It's it's a little tripod thing that has all the little balls, like adjustable legs and things like that. And, and it goes into like a million different like, shapes, directions, and, and shapes yeah, and stuff. And yeah. to me, for my OCD level, it's like not rigid and like right. structural enough. It's never perfectly straight either, yeah. so I would like spend half the time adjusting it just so it looked right and not <laughs> yeah. filming. But basically, YouTubers and people filming themselves, vloggers, would bend it into this curved handle shape thing. And uh, Casey Neistat was a person that kind of popularized 
using it that way. He called it the bendy tripod. <laughs> and we were at this video conference on the last day, and I just, everyone had one, basically. They had it attached to their camera. They were vlogging, walking around. And when they go to set down their camera, they couldn't do it, basically, because it takes way too long to bend the legs back out into the shape. Eventually, the legs get weak over time. Cameras fall over. Things break. And I turned to Pat, and I was like, there's got to be a better way. Like, someone should make something that fixes this small problem that people have. And this is, if you're doing um, vlogging, which is like blogging with a, a video camera, mm-hmm. you're you're often on the go, moving around, yeah. showing travel scenes and, and interviewing people on the fly. But then sometimes you need to quickly switch to like a seated position or something, and you don't want to be holding the camera still, right? Or and just so set that- the camera down where it's not resting on the lens or the, like where the microphone jack goes into or the screen on the back, like... Cameras are expensive and delicate, and to have them setting on a, like a hard surface or whatever, you want to be able to just set it down and kind of walk away and trust it's not going to fall over either. And this was all happening just what, like two years ago? Yeah, that was 2017, I think. Okay. So it took us about two years total from idea to shipping. Okay. So it was, yeah, it was... Vid Summit 2017 in the fall that we had that initial idea. And so you like there's there's this crappy bendy tripod out there and all vloggers were using them pretty mm-hmm. much or some something like that. And um, nobody was happy with it. Pretty much that was that was the gist of it. We started doing a little bit of research and talking to people while we were there and saying, like, what do you like? What do you hate about this thing? And everyone just complained about it. And I was like, Well, you bought it, it's solving some of your problem a little bit, but not enough. And Joby, the company that makes them, has tons of sizes and colors, and they've sold millions of these over the last 10-plus years. They got bought out by a bigger company that owns most of the tripod companies in the world. And when I was describing this problem, this idea to Pat, a third person walked up. His name is Richie Norton, and ironically, he was the reason why we were at the event. He had been on Pat's podcast, and he works with creators and businesses to make physical products. So he and his team at Product go to the creator. They figure out what they want to make, and they make it. Just all kinds of things from teepees to T-shirts to unique ideas like what SwitchPod became. And he was like, let's do it. And I was like, do what? And I was like, I'm just complaining. I complain about things all the time. Like... <laughs> Like, why is there a, a left no-turn arrow? Like, I can see if traffic is coming. Like, I won't turn in front of traffic. Like, a right. no left-turn arrow or a no yeah. right-turn arrow, it bugs me. Like, I complain about things all the time. I was just complaining about this product. And he was like, no, like, we could make it. And Pat, like, got really energized by the idea while we were there. And it took a while. You know, it took a few months to have initial conversations with them and their engineer and talking about what the product might be and the shape and the size and all that kind of stuff. But over time, we started making prototypes and and showing them to people that were our friends that were other YouTubers and, and video makers and getting their feedback on it. And you've never made a physical product before? No. And no. had Pat either? I mean, he had, I think, launched a physical version of his own book, but that okay. was, you know, giving That's your book to a printer. It, yeah. and, right. Not like he was inventing something. So this this company that you, uh, this Richie guy, you said he works for something called Product? Yeah, so it's a combination of 
the word proud and proud product together. Product. Yeah. And um, what pieces were they responsible for? So we had an initial phone call with them that was just a brain dump of what do you want this thing to do? What are the main features and benefits? And what is the competition and that sort of thing? So it started there. It started with the initial idea. But then the person we talked to, Cole, he's an engineer by trade. And so mm. he then took that, started sketching things out. We had some initial crude drawings that we had kind of shared of shape yep. and things. But he actually started doing it into CAD, 3D printing, different shapes, mailing them to us, testing it out. And then he started working on the function of how do you make something turn into a tripod that starts as a hand grip and kind of working on the mechanisms and and all the engineering went behind it. And then fast forwarding through the production, product also found manufacturers and vendors that could prototype it in China and manufacture it and packaging and yep. introducing us to a warehouse in the US to ship it out. So they really took our ideas and and ran with it that way. And so we paid them for their services in those regards. Got but it. they didn't like become owners of the business. I see. So uh, do they end up taking like a percentage, like a revenue share, or it's just you're just paying them for their services? We just pay them for their services. And their incentive is if the product does well and they do a good job, we'll keep working with them. Yeah. And the more that we make, the more successful the product is, the more they make in their margin. Got and it. so their goal is to make it as inexpensive as possible for you and then handle all the logistics behind it. Because- like I, I eventually did end up going to China to the warehouse, yeah. But finding uh, which manufacturers to use in China that make tripods and dealing with the cultural barrier and the language barrier and everything involved with that, like that is what they excel at. Yeah, it, it, this is awesome because when I've thought in the past about building physical product, I just imagine like doing all of that stuff yourself, trying to. I don't even know how you would come up with a prototype. Like, how do you, you suddenly have to learn CAD software and, yeah. and start planning that stuff out. But there are people out there who will do that piece for you. Is it um, expensive to get that ball rolling? Like, how much, if somebody, let's say somebody's at a conference and they come up with an idea and they decide they want to go down this route, like, what, what kind of out-of-pocket expenses are you talking about before you actually get the things to ship? It was a little bit at a time. So if someone had initially been like, that's a great idea. It's going to cost $25,000, which is about what we spent before launching on Kickstarter. Somewhere around twenty-five dollars to $30,000 is what we okay. spent. But it was incremental. So yeah. it was, let's hire an engineer for 1000 or $2,000 and start working on prototypes. And that covers 3D printing costs and mailing them to you and that sort of thing. And it's like, oh, let's, let's make a, a few more prototypes and let's use some plastics or let's use metal and let's see what that's going to be like. And so it kind of kept going on and on. And so it was getting that affirmation from people we were showing it to that like, oh yeah, you like keep going. So it was kind of like checkpoints where it was like, yeah, let's was spend a little like, bit, get some affirmation and then keep going. Yeah. Almost like you were doing an MVP, even though you didn't sell this thing, you still were getting them designed and either having an actual prototype in hand or able to show people photos and things like that, I assume. And then and then just deciding like this is enough of a checkpoint for us to keep going. And that's basically what it was, is we had, you know, the first few things were made out of cardboard or uh, like acrylic. So they mm -hmm. didn't function at all. They were just we're trying to get the shape. 
And then once he started 3D printing them and we started getting the the opening and closing mechanism of SwitchPod, that's kind of like the bread and butter like marketing thing that people see like how it works. Yeah. That that like really engaged us and other people into wanting to try it. And then we also timed investments and into prototypes and deadlines around different events. So we were going to VidCon. Mm. This is about eight months after the initial idea. And we knew at that event, there's tons of YouTubers, tons of video creators, and people within product and Pat and I were going to all be there. And so we wanted to have three different prototypes there and kind of use that as our unveiling. And so that was when we first talked about it on the internet. We recorded people using it there and we started handing out business cards and things like that. Um, That was kind of the first main event of talking about it. And then from there, we just tried to document it publicly as much as possible. So I talked about it on my YouTube channel. Pat would talk about it on his, share teasers on social media, and just kind of see what the response was like. Yeah, I remember there was a whole lot of... um talk about it long before it came out and obviously kickstarter and we could talk about that that's that's a whole long process but the upside is it gives you a long time to um as austin cleon says show your work right yeah let people in on the process of building a thing so that uh you know it builds buzz and excitement and and people feel like they know you and trust the product and and are invested and connected to the reasons why you built it in the first place and there were you know, not a ton of views on those videos, to be honest, you yeah. know, starting out, even though Pat had an existing audience, I had an existing audience. We built those audiences talking about different things. Right. But the people that did watch it or the people that did join our email list pre Kickstarter campaign launch, those were the most interested, focused people that we could reach out to when it did launch. So the fact that we were building buzz and we didn't just launch the Kickstarter out of the blue. Because that was something we considered. We didn't want people to take our idea. or mm-hmm. And I, th- I think that eventually we just reached a point where it's like, well, we need to build buzz. And we've already done this much work to this point. I don't think someone's just going to take our idea and run with it or care about it as much as we do. Right. Have, have there been any competitors that are really similar yet? Knock on wood, there's not been any that we've seen that are knockoffs or, no, or like, anything like that. Yeah, I could I could see if we get our sales up even more than they already are, or we're getting into more markets or we're getting into more stores, like someone's going to try to come up with something. But yeah. I'm actually surprised there hasn't been, not that that should enable people to go do it, but but there hasn't been a, a, a knockoff or something that's come out that I've seen that's like, that's basically what, me, what we made. So not yet. It's uh, one of those things that is natural, I guess, as a new entrepreneur or even as an experienced entrepreneur like you or Pat, to be nervous about somebody taking your idea. Um, but it seems fairly rare in the beginning. It's definitely more likely once you're successful, right? People tend to copy things that are already successful. So yeah. um, maybe it's less of a concern than than people give it credit for. Well, and once it's out in the marketplace or once you're selling it, like what are you going to do to keep people from, you know, like even our patent gets filed and there's, detailed drawings of all the pieces someone could buy it in whatever country take it apart and reverse engineer like they do that with advanced things like computers and and phones so what's going to keep someone from doing it you know but the the goal that we always had is let's have a brand behind it let's have our story behind it yeah and then when someone 
comes across it, they'll be like, oh, isn't this just a knockoff of whatever else? And the people that buy knockoffs are going to always buy the cheap thing from wherever else. But we're already making this in China. And most knockoffs come from China. So we're already like trying to do this as inexpensive as possible. This is yep. made of metal. It has high quality materials in it. If someone's going to knock it off, they're going to learn what the margins are and learn yeah. what to spend on the molds that we had to get made to, to manufacture it. So Exactly. Right now, the world is changing and businesses are adapting in different ways. So in these uncertain times, how do you make sure your marketing gets the results you need? LinkedIn can help you reach the right people who are looking for opportunities to help their businesses and can focus your campaigns on the objectives for today so your marketing works better. With over 62 million decision makers on LinkedIn, you're able to connect with the right business leaders, people who are there to learn how to be more effective at their jobs and find products to help their companies. 71% of people say they use information they find on LinkedIn to inform their business decisions. And with LinkedIn ads, you can make sure your messages are getting through to these relevant people. See how LinkedIn can help you with a free $100 LinkedIn ad credit to launch your first campaign. Visit linkedin.com slash fizzle. That's linkedin.com slash fizzle. Terms and conditions apply. So I want to talk about the device itself and explain to people what it's like. And then I want to ask you about the brand, because I think okay. that's a really interesting piece. So for people who haven't seen this thing before, like describe it to us. So I would say it's like it's like a handle for your camera, but not necessarily like a like a selfie stick. It has it has a grip that's really strong, like the butt of a gun or like a um maybe like a, a attachment to a hose where it's like mm -hmm. it's got a good it's firm metal. grip. Yeah, and it feels solid. Yeah, and it has finger grooves there, and it enables you to hold your camera firmly. And a lot of people that are doing videos now, they're using bigger cameras. You know, you're not using a little point-and-shoot camera anymore. You're using a DSLR with a lens and a microphone and it gets heavy. whatever other attachments you're talking about, have. like what, like up to 10 pounds of yeah, stuff? Yeah, up to 10 or 15 pounds. And you hold that out at arm's length with a, you know, not very ergonomic thing. So... We, that was the initial thing was how can we make this comfortable for people to hold? And then also how can it be a tripod so you can set down your camera? So the three legs of the tripod collapse on themselves and become that hand grip. And then you can easily flick them open and with some help of magnets kind of hidden in the part of the, the top of the tripod, it kind of snaps into that tripod position and and then you can set it down. Yeah, and the magnets are like a really slick aspect to it. Um, people can go to switchpod.co and see everything that we're talking about. Um, but I've seen videos of you guys like flicking it open really quickly. It's got kind of a, a cool, you know, like a fidget spinner it. kind of yeah, 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 exactly. aspect. Yeah. So you can go really quickly from holding the thing in your hand with this like 10 pounds of camera running and gunning to flipping it open and setting it on a table or, or whatever. And it's a really sturdy base. It's three solid metal legs that are, you know, in a triangle position. And uh, it just feels like you're comfortable putting your several thousand dollars worth of equipment on top of it and not worrying that it's going to flip over or something. And when we were building it and looking at the competition it was like okay what do we have to do to differentiate ourselves speed was definitely one of them getting the legs of the gorilla pod into a tripod 
position and then moving it back into a grooved kind of hand grip took a took a while so we filmed some side-by-side videos of us doing that trying to get it set up properly and then like flipping open a bunch open a bunch of switch pods in the amount of time that it that it does that and strength was the other one so Mm -hmm. the legs of the gorilla pod would weaken over time or if you put a heavier camera on it and the little joints would pop off or break and so we wanted durability and strength so we we had i think two prototypes when we launched on kickstarter maybe four and we stacked as much weight as possible that i owned i had like 50 pounds of weights and then it held it fine and i was like we need more weight to like show it so i put 50 more pounds of weight and i ran out of like plates from borrowing wow. from people and so the switch pod could put 100 pounds on it and at a little over 25 or 30 the gorilla pod would just like collapse yeah and so we were looking at what are the issues that people have with this we want to have the opposite. So sturdy, strong was something we wanted. So you mentioned branding, and um, branding to me is more than just the name. Uh, it's you know how you think of the product, and it's also the packaging. And we should talk about that because the packaging is great. It's really I love that you chose yellow. It's bright, mm-hmm. bold. It looks really nice when you open it, like you expect from a nice piece of equipment. Um, but the name so perfectly like describes what it is and yet it's short compact whatever um how did you come up with that like what's the story behind that well we had thought about other names um some of the other names are really bad um originally we thought it would have more of a, a bendy part to it like you could still kind of bend it into whatever shape you wanted and but the top was a little bigger so we thought it looked kind of like a cobra so mm. cobra pod was an early name um, Zoomerang was an early name. I don't, I don't know. Cause like the shape of it collapsed yeah. kind of looks like a, like a boomerang. Yep. And so, I mean, we went through different names, but switching between the two different modes of it was the main selling yeah. point. So yeah. switch pod was the, what we came up with. And just that idea of being able to handle because those two modes are really what everybody needs for filming the majority of what you do is a vlogger right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah and uh and switching between the two just makes so much sense and the colors um, just came from the original person we had designed the brand we found someone on maybe maybe it was fiverr or one of the the like freelance designer websites and we did like a custom package for hundreds of dollars or whatever and worked up a brand i mean we're still trying to save money really early on yeah and he chose black and yellow and most camera things are red or blue or black and so yellow just stands out at conferences and things like that that we would have booths at or just on a shelf and so we just kind of embraced the black and yellow all in yeah i love it um who designed the packaging i did nice yeah Yeah. um i mean i got a template of the shapes of what would have to go on the outside of the box with no dimensions from from our from our box box plant in China. Yep. It was just like a PSD with a general shape and I was like, uh, I don't know what so I like, you know, try to figure out the sizing of fonts and all that kind of stuff, but it, most of the stuff that was done for the Kickstarter campaign, for the packaging, for a lot of the stuff, it just like I just had to figure it out cuz we we didn't know if it would work. Yeah. We were trying not to put too much money into it, hire too many people and keep it as lean as possible. So I would just, we did all the photo and the video for the campaign and 
did the packaging and everything we could on our own. And um, so you launched on Kickstarter. It was up on Kickstarter for how long before, or how long was the campaign open? Uh, we did the max. So we did 60 days. I, okay. I, I know 30 days is typically the average amount, but from what I've heard from most people, the the lull in the middle is just more total days of expo exposure. And it gives you enough time to kind of regroup after the launch to be like, how are we going to close this out really strong? So we did 60 days. And um, the product, what does it cost to SwitchPod now retail? $99. $99? Yeah. Okay. And how much did it sell for on Kickstarter in the beginning? So the very beginning, we did $69 for the early bird. And okay. then I think we ended up doing about 1000 or 750 of those. And then it went to $79. Okay. And then what did you guys end up raising on Kickstarter total? About four hundred fifteen thousand dollars. Yeah, that was like a huge Kickstarter. I mean, there aren't many yeah. that get that big. Yeah, our our public goal was a hundred thousand dollars, and that was because the molds to get this made were almost seventy thousand dollars wow. for all the parts. So the molds are basically what you inject plastic or metal into, and they print out all the different pieces. And so that didn't add up to like what we would actually have to pay to manufacture it and ship it and import tariffs and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But we had invested almost 30,000. The molds were going to be 70,000. So that's where a hundred thousand dollar goal came from. And we met that in about 12 hours um, from a mixture of our audiences. And then we had one very large influencer make a video about it on day one that oh. helped kick us over the top. Really? So how, how did that work? Was that somebody that you or Pat knew already? So we went back to Vid Summit in 2018. So one year after our initial idea, we went back and we had our final prototype. We wanted to actually launch it like the, at that event publicly, but we just weren't quite ready um, to launch it. And we only had one prototype. We didn't have any of the assets ready. And, and I was like, let's, let's push it off until we're ready. So we're at that event. And the one influencer, Peter McKinnon, um, he's a bigger YouTuber. Now he has over, I think, like four and a half million subscribers. At the time, he is somewhere around two and a half million subscribers, and he was in that the camera, video, photo space, one of the bigger YouTubers out there, and he was the exact kind of person that we made it for. Someone that sometimes he's vlogging, he's taking his camera on trips all the time, making YouTube videos, and we wanted to show it to him basically, and we waited till the last day, the very last night he had come to a VIP thing because Pat and I both spoke at the event. Also, we were at the VIP event. And when he showed up, we got an introduction from the person that ran vid summit. So it wasn't just like us as fans kind of walking up to him. Right. We got the proper introduction and they said, Hey, you should check out this thing these guys are making. So we got five or so minutes to, to show it to him. He was stoked by it. He asked if he could have it. And I was like, I'm so sorry. That's our only one. Um, we'll make you one. <laughs> but we'll send you one, yeah. Yeah, because at that time, they were about $1,500 to $2,000 to make one. A single prototype. Switch pod that's finalized aluminum because yeah. it's completely custom. Yeah. And so we we made him one, and we shipped it to him a few weeks before our Kickstarter campaign was going to launch. And we had no kind of expectations of anything. We wanted him to have one. If we somehow got some sort of shout out at all, great. Um, he opened it and he's like, can I make a video about this tomorrow? And I was like, can you wait one week until we launch our Kickstarter campaign? So he was so excited about it. He wanted to make a video about it. 
he launched the video about six hours into our campaign. We were about halfway, so we were at like $50,000. And then a few hours later, we got another $50,000 and reached our goal. So we we did give him an affiliate link, you know, a custom thing where if people bought through his link, um, you know, he would earn money once the Kickstarter campaign closed. So there was the incentive of, hey, we're not just trying to use you. We want to give back to you for your yeah. help. So that's, I mean, that's old school yeah. affiliate internet marketing stuff that I've been Influencer learning for 10 marketing. years. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, but we also made a product that he really cared about. And of so course. in the video, he told the story of how we came up to him at an event and he tried to take the one that we had and we made him one. And he was very open and honest through the whole video. And, you know, I don't, I don't know if he's, he's had Kickstarter campaigns for his own products since then. Um, but I don't know if he's done a Kickstarter for, you know, two random people with an idea before. And so that, that made a big impact. And then because he made a video, other bigger people were either interested or backed our campaign and things like that. But we were in that point where it's like, well, we don't have any prototypes to send people. So at that point we were down to three, we were trying to get one to Casey Neistat and, you know, like I traveled around a little bit to show them to some people during the campaign and uh, build whatever buzz we could. But, you know, hindsight, if we would have known it was going to be this successful, I would have made way more of them, shipped them to way more influencers and have them all launch their video on day one. But yeah. we didn't know what was going to happen. Yeah. If if that had happened and there's that effect where if you're in a certain space and, and you see more than one person, you know, talking about a new product, it's like. It really gets your attention, right? Yeah, Especially if it's all on it. the same day. Yeah. Um, if you had done that, who knows? You might have had a million dollar Kickstarter campaign. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And that, that uh, was just a matter of not having enough prototypes, not having enough final prototypes. And we tried to rush some more, but we couldn't even get them by the end of the campaign. Like, and it's, it just lead times of products. It's also that, that um, balance between running lean and following the you know the the guidance on trying to be as minimal as possible until you have proof that something's actually going to work out versus like putting some energy behind it so that it gets as big as it can yeah and i think that people are also a little jaded by crowdfunding campaigns at this uh -huh. point like a lot of them are just used as marketing so people will have a finished product and they'll be ready to ship in like a, a month or then sometimes right. um as well as other ones that have failed um that coolest cooler one that's like major ftc problems i was actually just reading about one today of a guy that made a, a backpack and he raised about eight hundred thousand dollars years ago and he hasn't shipped any of them and he just oh, settled with the ftc for for not delivering to all these people yeah and so like people know of that they're a little hesitant about that versus just buying something so it's it's a gamble of whether you're going to develop your product all the way to completion and then launch it or crowdfund it. And we really did need the money. We weren't going to drop seventy thousand dollars on molds on a product we didn't have validation for from our from our audience or just the internet. So sixty days, uh, four hundred something thousand dollars. What is that around like five or six thousand units that you had pre-sold? Yeah, it was about forty five hundred units. Yeah. Okay. And then how long did it take from the time the Kickstarter closed till you shipped the first batch? So that closed March 29th, and we were shipping around October 10th. Okay. So, Like six, seven months. About six, about six months, yeah. 
and I think, you know, people who have bought on Kickstarter before know that that's kind of how it goes. Um, but was that more or less than you thought it would be in terms of months? We said September or October. And I, I think I would have been more vague. Just like, it's just delivering on your promise. If we would have said holiday, like December, and delivered early, people would have been happier than we were towards the end of the two-month window that we gave. So it's just, you know, I was happy with how quickly we delivered in six months, considering, like, we hadn't started manufacturing at all during the campaign. We had to wait for the money to come from Kickstarter seven days after the campaign ended, after their fees, paying our affiliates, and then then we could pay the down payment to the the factory in China. Yeah. We could have probably taken a loan and then paid it off sure. a month later or something like that to speed it up, but I just, we didn't really want to deal with that hassle, and we just decided to wait for the money to come. Yeah. Um, so this you start shipping in October, and um, fast forward, it's been six months or so that you've been mm-hmm. shipping. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had a baby in between there. We did, yeah. Actually, we were shipping the product like when my baby was being born, kind of thing. <laughs> so I was, I was like, all the customer support email with a newborn baby. Like, I didn't sleep much the first few days there. <laughs> I can't imagine. That's insane. Uh, how have sales been going since? Great. Uh, we actually so we sold over five thousand more. So we've almost sold out of our first run of ten thousand because we basically yeah. doubled down. We took all the money from Kickstarter and put it in inventory. Yep. And so we made about 10,000 switch pods and we have a few hundred left of those have another shipment coming from China that's been coronavirus delayed for sure um and then we also on the on the campaign anniversary we launched an accessory a ball head and that was just the main thing people are asking for is a ball head that was our brand that could fit right on top easily and we kind of Instead of designing something from scratch, when I was in the factory in China around August of last year, I just asked the person there, because they make tons of tripods. They have a showroom of all these different things they've made for themselves and for different companies. And I said, show me your strongest ball head. And they showed me one that was attached to another tripod that they had designed and developed. So it wasn't like we're infringing on another company that had had something made there. And I was like, can you just chop off? the legs on this one and design it so it fits more on ours, but has the same internal elements. And so that was much faster okay. and we didn't have to pay tooling because they already had the tooling and that was the the next product we launched. But we didn't kickstart that one because we kind of already knew that's what people wanted and we were further along the process of and getting you have a customer made. List now and we have and- a customer list of five, 10,000 people, you know, that have bought the SwitchPod and, you know, we knew only a fraction of them would buy this, but a lower price product and it's supposed to be an accessory but now that we have that we're selling more of them kind of bundled together so it you know we did around 2500 of those and we're having to order more and so the demand is continued steady and most of what we've done has been just evergreen we haven't been running ads and we haven't been doing much more influencer marketing just kind of word of mouth and are you selling it mostly grow. direct through your website or do you have them in stores or how does that work? It's a little bit of all of that because we we definitely were selling on our site first. So right when the Kickstarter campaign ended, you're able to basically redirect a purchase button on Kickstarter to whatever site you want. So I spun up a Shopify site in a day or two just to make sure we didn't lose any traffic and momentum. 
So people kept pre-ordering for those six months. And during that time, we also had some retailers come on board for pre-orders, B&H, Adorama, oh, awesome. Focus Camera, some of the bigger camera stores, Moment, yeah. who has their own uh, smartphone cases and lenses, but they sell stuff too. So slowly retailers, online-only retailers kind of got interested in it. Having seen our success on Kickstarter, they wanted to have it too. So at this point, I think we have six or so U.S. retailers, some international. I'm really trying hard to get into more places internationally just to grow elsewhere, grow the market. And um, then we also got on Amazon once we had product. So something I thought early on was, oh, we'll just take pre-orders on Amazon for six months. Mm -hmm. But if you don't ship something in 30 days on Amazon, they'll take your listing down and refund everybody. Ah, so you have to be ready. Yeah, so we waited until we had them in our warehouse before we made an Amazon listing public. Well, you um, guys have awesome reviews on all the sites. It's really cool. So I would say, and I don't know how the percentages break down exactly. Most of the sales still come through our our site, our direct brand website, but a lot sell through Amazon and a lot sell through retailers as well. So looking at this from a big picture standpoint, you know, you've you've spent three years almost on on the project, and obviously that wasn't full time. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, you've sold ten thousand or so of this hundred dollar product, which my quick math tells me is about a million dollars in revenue. And I know that you've mentioned that you reinvested and and so on, and that there are a lot of costs involved. To an outsider, million dollar product sounds like a home run. Do you feel like this is a home run? Right now, like, Interesting. is this is this a a life changing experience? Is this um, life changing? Just- is definitely a, a a word or a phrase we heard a lot um, from either like like friends or family um, during the Kickstarter campaign when it was a hundred thousand dollars, two hundred thousand, three hundred thousand dollars, and externally it looks big, but I if it was a digital product with three percent credit card fee margin, great life changing. Yes, you know, but. This is a very expensive product to make, and we spent hundreds of thousands of dollars to get ten thousand of them. You know, yeah. the first run. There's a lot of upfront costs to get the the tooling done, the molds made, all the money we spent on branding. After fees and affiliates, that four hundred fifteen was more like three hundred fifty thousand, and so it just money just disappears. You know, quickly <laughs> with with this right. kind of stuff. Um, you know, we wanted to protect it, so getting a patent, and you have legal fees there, and we did some advertising during the campaign, and so everyone everyone comes to collect kind of thing. But it, it is becoming now that we have the system set up, we have the, the supply chain set up, that as more of them sell now, the profit margins are higher for sure. Yeah. And we make more money selling them on our site than we do to Amazon, because Amazon takes 15-ish percent. And yep. they have different fees for having your product in their warehouse and them shipping them around and stuff. A retailer buys them at about 30% off because they need to make their margin. Yep. If we get into a bigger store like a Walmart or whatever, they're going to want 40 or 50% margin. So like, not all sales are equal, but to us, being in those other places, we may not have made that sale. So it's like, would you rather have 60 or 70% of full price or would you want to hoard all that and only sell through your website versus being more places being seen more places so it's 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 a mixture but life-changing amount of it's not a retirement amount of money but it's definitely 
another business that's, that's bringing in money that and I if you say sell, no to client work or if you sell 10,000 copies uh, uh, over the next year that will be a big difference maker for you right given you exactly don't have all the startup costs and then yeah. that's the, that's it now is any issues any problems any of the main things from getting started are mainly ironed out yep now it's scale and scaling is is how we would make a lot of money and what I've learned is you basically play the inventory game when you have a physical product because to buy inventory, you need cash. And to get cash, you need to sell your inventory. So it's it's always a timing issue of when do we want to buy more inventory, but we can still pay ourselves or run the business. But you don't want to do it too late because then there's supply chain delays right now, especially, and you don't want to run out of inventory and lose out on sales. And so basically we took... We could have just made 5000 fulfilled the Kickstarter, walked away with, I don't know, 100000 something like that. But we took that 100000 and we made 5000 more. If you sell those 5000 maybe that's somewhere between three hundred dollars and $500,000 that you could buy more. Then with those ten or 15000 you could buy thirty or 50000 And so right. you just like play the ramp-up game. And then when you get to the bigger numbers, that's where the, the main profit is. So... You don't want to get like too greedy and hoard too much early on yeah. when you're trying to scale then it. You and, and then the, the, you starve the business. Yeah. So thinking back to Caleb Wojcik from early 2017 or 2016, whatever, you're just a, a guy who makes videos and you've never built a physical product before. You've probably thought about it like all of us have a little bit and probably had some preconceived notions about how difficult it might be and what you'd have to go through and so on. If you were able to talk to yourself back then or to talk to somebody now who's kind of in the same position, like what are the key things that you learned, maybe mistakes that you made, but the key things that you learned and, and the key things that you think somebody needs to pay attention to to make something like this successful? I think you have to have patience with something like this. It's way slower to do a physical product than a digital product. I'm used to, you know, if I have an idea, you could spin up a website in a weekend or make a product and have it available immediately. That's more of what I was used to in my more recent career. So patience is definitely a big thing. And asking for help is definitely a huge thing because most digital kind of things, like if it's a software thing or coding, you're like, I can Google it, I can look it up, I can figure it out. But when I'm trying to figure out like what material is going to be strong enough to hold this or, you know, engineering something in CAD, like I don't know how to do that. And the amount of time it would take to learn that is probably not worth it. And I should pay, pay someone that's an expert in it. So being okay with investing money into things that you don't know how to do or that you shouldn't be doing yourself was another big one. And then lastly, I would say attention to detail because no one will care about your product or your thing as much as you even if you're paying them to care about it. So checking people's work or when you get prototypes, like really looking at them deep, seeing what the flaws might be, foreseeing what's going to happen when there's 5,000 of these on the market, where if you have a defect and and one part is going to fail 2% of the time, think of all the customer support emails you're going to have to deal with, think of all the replacement parts you're going to have to send. And so it's just a matter of, okay, is this going to be an issue a lot or is this something that's randomly going to happen if it's just randomly going to happen maybe don't focus on it as much but if there is an issue trying to attach it to like your your personal well-being of like no this is my product it needs to be 
good enough because I'm going to have to deal with the repercussions of how it's going to impact me customer support email wise or brand wise or what have you, because other people, even the people making your product at the factory, like it might just be a job for them and it, it isn't necessarily going to be a passion like it might be for you. Yeah. Uh, congrats, man. This is like, thanks. It's just such a, it's just a whole different life. I mean, considering that you are, um, you know, by trade, uh, basically like an information marketer. You're also a, a video, you know, a producer of videos and content and so on. And to learn those things and to be successful at them takes tons of time and energy. And, and you know, anybody would be happy over the course of 10 years or something to be good at it. And then here you are now with this other feather in your cap of having built a physical product that is super successful and and has you know tons of potential for the future it's awesome do you feel like there are, are other physical products in your future I, I mean right now we're working on things that are adjacent to mm -hmm. switch pod that are accessories or you know other problems that video creators are having it would it would kind of have to be something unique enough for me to to want to chase it down to the effect that we did with this like i don't think i could make products that are just uh, uh, another version of something that already exists. This excited me because it was different and unique and and new. So unless I have more ideas like that, I, I don't know if there's like a brand new business I would I would create. But I feel like a lot of the newer, bigger, growing businesses or or products are new things. So if I could think of a new thing or Pat could think of a new thing, we might might chase it down and see where it takes us. <laughs> Knowing you and having watched your your progress, I mean, when you and I uh, first met, like, I think we're talking about nine years ago or something mm -hmm. like that, yeah. which is hard to believe, um, you were working in a cubicle. And um, all this is like, been amazing to watch from the outside. But in thinking about what set you up to be able to build the SwitchPod, a uh, couple of things come to mind. One, obviously, are connections and getting to know people. Definitely. Um, yeah. And, you know, being able to work with Pat Flynn, who's a, a really smart business guy and has a lot of um, audience himself. But, you know, you never would have um, known Pat if you hadn't put yourself out there, right, and and attended events and so on and, and gotten to know people. But the other thing that that strikes me is that I remember you being really curious about video and about production. And um, if you hadn't just followed that to see where it would go, you never would have made all of these. You wouldn't have been at VidCon. You wouldn't have like wondered why there wasn't a better tripod, right? Is that, yeah. do you feel like it, this all started just because you had an itch around like wanting to know more about video and, and to get better at it yourself? Yeah, I think it's been a combination of the network and finding something that I really liked and was interested in and went deep down the rabbit holes too far on gear and equipment and videos, techniques and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and going to events where I learned about that or other people were interested in it and growing my network that way. Cause like, if I didn't have a network, if I was just someone in my garage trying to make a product and then launched on the internet, it would have flopped. Like it, it had to solve the problem and get in front of the people that would want it. And I, I am more in this in this brand and this product focused on making sure that it's really good and it does what it needs to do and all the systems are in place so that 
when people buy it, they can get one and it gets shipped to them and that sort of thing. And partnering with someone like Pat, who has an audience, who is a marketer and is great at it, who has other connections and network that I don't have to people that have audiences as well. All of those things interlinked together, I think, to to make this successful. Because I don't think just just having a product idea or just having an audience is not enough. It, the, the mixture was what we needed. Caleb, thanks for coming on and catching up. It's been too long. Congrats on the baby. Congrats on the uh, SwitchPod baby as well. Yeah, they both they both were. I guess I guess SwitchPod wasn't conceived in the same year, but <laughs> they they were lo- launched and and birthed. They were in, birthed in the, in the same, same year. year. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you had a little bit more to do with the birth of the SwitchPod than exactly. Your own yes, baby, for but, sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, all right, everybody, you can find more about Caleb. You can find the SwitchPod over at switchpod.co. I will have links to everything that we talked about on this episode over at fizzleshow.co. I'm Corbett Barr. Until next time, thanks for listening to The Fizzle Show.